The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. The Capital Weekly Podcast is a production of Open California and is sponsored by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard, and I'm joined by my colleague, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Guy Kashkuli, who is a legislative and political director at the United Farm Workers, also a member of the board. And we wanted to touch base with him and check on the UFW. Guy, thank you very much for joining us today. So nice to be with you, John and Tim. Thanks for having me. Um, one of the issues we want to talk about, in fact, what prompted us to want to speak with you, we saw a few days ago the governor had vetoed uh, AB 616, which would have allowed mail-in card elections at the UFW over a period of a year, according to the Ledge Info piece I read. What is the significance of that veto, uh, and what does it mean for the UFW? Well, it's very upsetting. Um, I mean, the governor is showing that he is, wants a double standard on voting. Okay. The AB 616, or the Agricultural Labor Relations Voting Choice Act, sought to update the way farm workers vote in union elections to make it more similar to how other Californians vote in their elections. Mm -hmm. um, the Agricultural Labor Relations Act was written all the way back in 1975. And if you think about back to then, uh, voters didn't have, mostly could only vote in the polls and uh, at the polling place. And uh, similarly, in the Agricultural Labor Relations Act, that's how farm workers vote in union elections. What AB 616 would have done, it was modeled after California's Voter Choice Act. Uh, there's been a series of changes over the last decade, in particular in California. Uh, in this last recall election, for example, every voter received a ballot at their home. Uh, voters can receive help from people um, uh, that they trust in filling out their ballot. Those ballots are then submitted in a sealed envelope and they're signed and sent in. And that's what the Agricultural Labor Relations Voting Choice Act would have done for farm workers, given them that opportunity as, as a second choice on how they vote in elections, as opposed to only in a polling place election. And so it's upsetting that the governor chose to veto the bill. Um, this is the same election system that he benefited from, both in, in uh, 2018 and again in this recall election by making it easier to vote. In fact, he's been on the record as have many people in California saying that they want it, making it easier to vote means that you're gonna have a better election. Um, it's, it's more fair. And obviously there's this a national debate going on right now. Um, you know, Donald Trump thinks it's easier for, uh, elections have, uh, are more fair if it's harder to vote. Um, and uh, you know, Governor Newsom has took the opposite tack. Unfortunately, he didn't take that tack on this bill. You know, in his veto message, uh, he said there were procedural inconsistencies with AB 616, but he, it was, he was vague about that. Do you have any notion, had you any contact with the administration, what he's, what he's referring to as procedural inconsistency? Well, I, I, that was, honestly, that was another one thing that was pretty upsetting about the veto. Um, you know, the United Farm Workers president that I sort of met or had asked to meet with Governor Newsom back in early June. He never did. Uh, he never met with farm workers. We did meet uh, with his staff. His staff didn't, in that meeting, did not point out any inconsistencies um, and uh, didn't indicate. Since then, I will say that there are um, 
they have given interviews to other press outlets. And in those interviews, they have repeated misinformation uh, uh, from opponents about the bill. So I'll just give you one example. Um, they, they have been quoted saying that the agricultural, under this bill, there would be a problem getting the list of voters. Uh, and so I, I suppose that that's one of the inconsistencies. And that's just factually incorrect. AB 616 only would have amended the Agricultural Labor Relations Act. Uh, there is a procedure for the Agricultural Labor Relations Board, the, the state body that governs these elections. Uh -huh. And the Agricultural Labor Relations Board has been getting election lists for 46 years, uh, is very skilled in doing that. And that procedure was not going to change from this bill. So I, uh, we don't really know what to make of it other than to correct the information. If they had asked us, we would have been able to communicate uh, that they were incorrect. Well, with that veto, then the way it is now uh, in terms of voting is the way it was before. That's right. So does that mean um, uh, going to a the employee going to a central point on the employer's property? Does it mean going to the ARB office? Uh, do you drop off physically into a mailbox? How does that work? How does a, a UFW? Yeah. So the, the way the current process works is uh, over um, over half of the eligible workers have to sign a union authorization card uh -huh. to say that they want a an election, and then an election needs to take place. And the election generally takes place on employer property. In some cases, will take place at an agricultural labor relations board office. Uh -huh. um, and uh, look, that process worked for many um, uh, sometimes. And AB six one six wouldn't have changed that process. If people want, if workers at a company wanted to proceed with that process, they could do so. Uh -huh. okay. uh, it merely gave workers a second option. Uh, to choose a ballot card election process, which as you noted, the legislature noted is a separate secret ballot election process. It's just a second, a second option. And does the card, the ballot card, uh, if a majority of the workers at the facility want that, is that how that works? It needs majority? So, yeah, so under the Agricultural Labor Relations Voting Choice Act, under the AB 616, the distinction here is uh, like how other Californians vote, you, if you would vote on your ballot, you would submit it in an envelope, you would seal the envelope, you would sign the envelope. Mm -hmm. If someone helped you with that, that person would also have to sign the envelope. Again, similar to exactly how other Californians vote. Mm -hmm. The one, the biggest difference uh, between the new, pro the alternative process uh, is that you would have to get 50% plus one of all workers eligible to vote as opposed to just those who voted. So in the current process, like uh, if 50% plus one of the people vote who voted vote, then you vote for the union. That's similar to California elections. Uh, in AB 616, we created an additional um, hurdle to go through and you'd have to get 50% plus one of all those eligible. So just to put a point on what that would have meant, you know, Governor Newsom in 2000, his 2018 election won about 63% of the people who voted, mm -hmm. but he only won 38% of California's registered voters. And if, so if he was running under this new process, which we proposed working with Assemblymember Mark Stone, he would not have won the election because he didn't get 50% plus one of all those eligible. So that was the additional hurdle that we 
uh, we put in to the. And bill. that would be a hurdle that really makes it harder for you, or makes it harder for the UFW. Well, it makes it harder for the UFW, and it may, and of course, we're not the only union that tr seeks to organize farm workers. But right, for any union, that's right. And uh, there's a number of reasons we thought that that was important, and um, and because in the end, the idea is to show what is worker intent at a company. The governor seems to have been pretty sympathetic over time to various labor organizations. At least, I'm not talking about the farm workers, but the building construction trades, electricians. Uh, laborers, uh, they all have significant lobbying operations here and they have a presence here. I'm thinking especially the building construction trades with Robbie Hunter. Did those people stand with you, stand with the UFW as, uh, you know, brothers in arms and trying to uh, get pro-union legislation through the governor? Is, well, is well we, we were really pleased. Our, our sisters and brothers in the labor movement, uh, overwhelmingly uh, unions across the board, including the California Labor Federation, the United Food and Commercial Workers, the Teamsters, SCIU, yeah. they all supported the bill. Honestly, they didn't do a lot of lobbying because the state legislature uh, examined the bill, looked at the bill. I still remember one of the hearings, uh, a state senator asked, so you're saying this is how you know, you're going to model farm worker union elections the same way we get elected as state legislators. And some member, Mark Stone, the author said, yes, that's correct. And he said, well, that makes a lot of sense to me. So honestly, it was uh, most unions did not. Believe, they were pretty shocked, not pretty, very shocked that Governor Newsom vetoed the bill. Um, it, it's such a uh, straightforward and simple bill. Um, it's it's modeled you know, very closely and builds off of the California Voter Choice Act and the, the rhetoric that Governor Newsom has used, unions were pretty shocked, but they all wrote letters of support, but they, they didn't need, they didn't lobby heavily, nor did they need to, because the legislature saw that it was a strong bill. After he did the veto, has he reached out? I may have alluded to this before, but has he reached out with you? He said he would in the veto message. He, wanted he is to not. He is not. And, and, and again, uh, you know, <laughs> We reached out early in June in this process, uh, and the the inconsistencies suggested in the veto message were never raised. Uh, and the things that they have suggested in public are just—it's like as I said, it's misinformation. It's just factually incorrect uh -huh. what they've stated. But there's been no conversation with the governor's office in the United Farm Workers. So, so I have to ask, whose idea was it to march to the French Laundry to try to have a meeting with him? <laughs> I was. I saw that, and I was like, "Well, there's a throwing the gauntlet down right there." Yeah. Well, what had happened is, is look, um, in the United Farm Workers, Farm Workers know the context of everything, every bill that we, every advance that Farm Workers have had in California, and and, and they're basic: the ability to have bathrooms in the fields, the ability to have cool drinking water, the ability to have shade the ability to have equal overtime pay rights, all of those bills have been heavily contested by the organized agribusiness in California, which is an over $50 billion industry. So knowing that farm workers had planned a march from Farmersville, California to Sacramento to highlight why they wanted these Voting Choice Act, the governor vetoed the bill on the first day of that march. And so we gathered uh, farm workers, there were dozens of farm workers who had taken uh, off work uh, to be part of that march. 
and we asked them what to do. And there was a lot of anger. Um, there is this, uh, many of those farm workers had actually actively worked to oppose the recall, um, had, 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 had assisted California's voters in voting in ways that we were suggesting, meaning knocked on doors, even, uh, uh, helped uh, advise, uh, uh, clarify. It was a complicated ballot. You know, there were dozens of people on that recall. So there was a lot of anger. There was this feeling of this double standard. And that's where the idea came up to go to the French Laundry to sort of really highlight this double standard. And then ultimately several groups said we should then auto march to Pump Jack Winery, you know, the winery that Governor Newsom owns, um, to sort of highlight, highlight that double standard. One of the issues that also came up uh, this summer, apart from the governor, was a Supreme Court decision uh, in June, U.S. Supreme Court decision in June, uh, about the rights of uh any union folk to, to access pr the property of the company owner. And that, that had been in effect for many, many, many years. This court basically struck that down. How has, what's been the aftermath of that in terms of, you have to, has that affected you folks? Well, it's a horrible decision. I mean, the, as you just alluded to, that, that, that their right for uh, farm workers to hear from union organizers about their rights during their non-working hours uh, uh, on the property, meaning lunch, prior to work and afterwards. Um, that's the one method uh, when the Agricultural Labor Relations Act was passed back in 1975. And by the way, the agricultural employers agreed to that as part of a compromise. And then, uh, but for decades, then they tried to overturn it. And the fact that this uh, Trump and Republican appointed Supreme Court chose to prioritize property rights over human rights, it's, it's really disgusting. Um, and you know the ramifications are serious. I mean, this is it's the one way farm workers uh, in California get to hear about what their rights are. There just simply aren't enough government staff to do that, uh, or agencies. And we're talking about a largely immigrant workforce, um, and uh, it's the one place to do it. So it's it's a it's a bad decision. That said, that's a separate issue than what was brought in the Agricultural Labor Relations Voting Choice Act. Is the outlook as we go forward now, looking forward, uh, what do you see, you know, as the future of the UFW in terms of its organizing wherewithal, its sustainability, its ability to get its message pushing forward? Seems like there's a lot of headwind now. There always has been, but there seems to be headwind now, even from people that I would think would be your traditional allies. So, yeah, look, um, the reason uh, Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta, uh, other founders like Larry Itliang and others are so celebrated is because for decades, farm workers had tried to uh, form a union and were unsuccessful. Um, the truth is it's always been difficult. Every fight has been difficult. Um, we just won a few years ago, the right to equal overtime pay. That's a vestige of the race-based decisions decades ago when farm workers were principally African-American uh, coming off of the days of where the, uh, they had been enslaved to work in our agricultural system. Yeah. Um, we just overturned that a few years ago. And, and even then in 2016, when, when we passed the bill, it was through a phase in. And so actually it won't be until January of 2022 where California farm workers for the first time will get overtime pay time and a half after an eight hour day the same as everybody else in California. Does pay, does it include the minimum wage? Is that sort of- the It does, yep, yep, that's right. 
And so the truth is every fight the United Farmworkers has ever engaged in has been difficult. We're going up, like I said, against a, a $50 billion agribusiness industry in California. Um, every fight's been different. Um, the obituary for the United Farm Workers has been written many, many times. Uh, Cesar Chavez, um, uh, you know, was, he was sort of famously uh, just a few years after the UFW started in the New York Times, the headline was the union's dead. When Cesar Chavez passed away in 1993, there was a concerted effort by agricultural employers to say that the United Farm Workers was dead. Uh, we're still here. And we're still here because of the wonderful leadership of farm workers across the state who are determined to have equal rights. And it's why, by the way, we are going to win the Agricultural Labor Relations Voting Choice Act. Governor Newsom may think that farm workers are not equal to him and not deserve the same equal rights, but he will learn from farm workers themselves that they are uh, not only their equality, but they will assert their humanity to him. And I believe ultimately he will come to the, their agreement and uh, and support this bill so that they have those same equal rights. So now you're you're talking about the history of the UFW. Can you uh, kind of give us a, where is the UFW right now? How many members do you have? How many farms do you go? Are they are they which states are they most active in? Can you just kind of walk us through where you are right now for people who may not be that familiar with it? Sure. So. Um, we are most active in California, and we're most active in California for a simple reason. That's where the over, uh, over a majority of the farm workers in the United States are. California still to this day produces more than half the fruit, fresh fruits, vegetables, and nuts that the whole country eats. And in fact, much of the world does. So California is by far um, the, the strongest. Uh, we do have active collective bargaining agreements uh, in, in, uh, along the West Coast in Oregon and Washington State as well. Um, uh, membership is a, uh, there's what we file with the U.S. Department of Labor, which has a very specific way of, uh, of doing it. Uh, and, um, and right now that's about seven, between 7,000 and 10,000 has fluctuated over the last couple of years. And they ask that you file membership at the end of the year, um, obviously in ag culture, anyone who's familiar with farming in California at the end of the, uh, at the end of December is not peak season. Um, but we've always uh, seen ourselves as uh, broader than just the members that we represent through collective bargaining agreements. Collective bargaining agreements ultimately depend on not just farm workers deciding they want a union, but an employer agreeing to have an agreement. And as a union, we don't believe that employers should only determine whether a farm worker gets to be part of their own organization. And so we've involved literally tens of thousands of farm workers uh, in all of our efforts, most recently uh, during this extraordinary pandemic, um, where we've been able to provide uh, through our own work and our sister organizations, direct relief uh, uh, literally just meals to over 200,000 farm workers in California, direct cash assistance to 27,000 farm workers, uh, and, and, and uh, masks and equipment uh, to over 300,000 farm workers in the last year. And that's in California. And generally, that's we, with the United Farm Workers. We like to see uh, ourselves in, in that way because that's whose opinion we interact with and who helps make the decisions for our organization. Uh, Gabe, do you think we're going to see... Uh a uh, resuscitation of AB 616 in a different form, maybe coming back uh, at the next session. 
what's going to happen, do you think? Uh, Assemblymember Mark Stone is going to bring back the Agricultural Labor Relations Voting Choice Act, what was this year AB 616, and it's going to be in the same form. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, uh, the governor's veto message, he describes inconsistencies. Well, his veto message is inconsistent, and his public, their public comments from his spokespeople have suggested what they've said to the press is just factually incorrect. So our first step is to clear up that misinformation. Um, and, uh, and I think that we're going to get strong support from the legislature. Great. Uh, Keith, thank you so much for joining us. John and Tim, thanks so much. Yeah. Gee, thank you so much. Great. Take care. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, John. So you ready to talk about who had the worst week in California politics? I am. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Uh, We had two contenders here, didn't we? Both erupted on the same day. We have uh, Omar Hernandez. Executive Director of SEIU California. We're talking former Executive Director. Uh, yeah, former. Yeah, I'm sorry, former Executive Director. Absolutely, at least up until that point, a wonderful reputation. Very, very smart. Played a key role in uh, beating back the attempt to recall Gavin Newsom. Uh, known for her, really for her organizing ability and strategy ability in terms of organized labor, but she and her husband. They got charged with several counts. There was an embezzlement count, I believe, and a money laundering count and some other things, uh, filing fraudulent tax issues. I should have that in front of me. I'm sorry, I don't. But so that was not a good week for her. She was arrested. She was taken into custody and then released, as I understand it. And her next significant hearing in court is November 11th, I believe. No, excuse me, November 4th. So that's her. Well, that was all going on. Um, and the political world was shocked. We have Mark Ridley Thomas, uh, L.A. City Councilman and a former L.A. County Supervisor and a former state legislator uh, accused in federal court of uh, really of, of, of corruption in his office and dealing with a woman at USC, a uh, former dean of their social work uh, college, of trying to get a son in to school uh, and getting a tax, free, uh, excuse me, a, uh, a free scholarship and also a professorship. And he was accused of- My doing parents were really not really working hard enough for me is all I'm going to say is my parents <laughs> didn't really try to bribe anybody to get me into, you know, Sac City Community <laughs> College. I'm very disappointed to say. You know, he's accused of doing favors for USC, uh, helping them get funding, uh, using campaign funds to do that one point. Uh, it just it's a very ugly situation down there. He uh, again, this is a federal court. Federal penalties can be far more severe than you find in state court. I think there's a total of 20 some counts down there. It uh, doesn't help USC any, which has just gone through its admission scandal. And before that, they had a uh, medical scandal down there. Uh, there's a lot going on with USC, and this doesn't help it at all. But clearly, if you had to pick one, I think who had the worst week. I think we'd say Mark Ridley Thomas over Alma Hernandez. Kind of close, but at the end of the day. Alma Hernandez actually had, in some ways, a better week than she should have had because who would have thought that a sitting L.A. city councilman would be indicted the same day, the same day that it breaks when she's been fired. So, uh, or resigned. 
not sure if she was nine or hard, but you know, what do they say? It's an ill wind that blows nobody no good. And yeah. so Mark Ridley Thomas's bad news was Alma Hernandez's good news. Yeah, so, no, that's absolutely uh, true. I think attention immediately pivoted from her to Mark Ridley Thomas, especially in LA, you know, the nation's second largest media market. Uh, the scrutiny is on him. He said only publicly he was going to stand back, but you can see he resigned. I don't know where that is now, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, and, you know, I have to say, you know, as a media watcher, our own daily newsletter, The Roundup, did not even headline this. I opened up The Roundup the next morning and I was like, it was something about fires. And I'm like, fire Schmeyers. We've had fires for months and months and months. We only have diamonds. Yeah. So I was like, double, it should have been like, headline should have been something like double, double down or something. I don't know. I was, I was shocked. I was shocked, John. <laughs> shocked, shocked. So there you go. And, you know, normally it can be kind of difficult to come up with someone who had a worst week. Yeah. And this week it was difficult to decide who it really had the That's worst true. week. This time we had a plethora of candidates. Usually it's, as you said, it's usually it's hard to come up with somebody, but that was nice this week. So for yeah. us, not for them. <laughs> nice for us. Yeah. So, yeah. hey, and uh, thanks to our listeners. By the way, we've been doing uh, some special episodes. Our regular listeners may notice that the last four episodes have all been special episodes recorded at our conference on mental health, uh, which focused on uh, mental health crisis, which I think is pretty clearly ongoing in California right now. And if you miss those, uh, I invite our listeners to go check those out. They're quite interesting. I was really pleased with the three panel discussions. And I have to say, I was moved, very moved by the keynote uh, from Senator Eggman. I, she got into much more personal stories than I had expected. And it was very interesting to see uh, you know, someone, how they had, how she had decided to get involved in policy and what motivated her and the very, very personal stories about uh, mental illness affecting her life. I, you know, I invite our listeners, if they have not checked those out, I think they're well worth a listen. Well said. Tim, I'll see you next time around. Thanks, Sean. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.